Christmas, everyone. It's so nice to see you all. I really uh, enjoy being here with you. And to all of you who are watching online, we're glad that you're a part of this as well. And I hope that you've had a good Christmas, but whatever you experience you've had, I just want you to know that we pray for you as leaders and elders in this church. And I know that you pray for one another and we care for each other deeply. And I have to tell you too, I am so proud of you all. This week has just been phenomenal. Thursday night at our Christmas Eve Eve service, there were just so many people here who brought friends with them, and you came, and we just opened our hearts to what God wants to show us in this time. And then Friday, I was just so impressed with how many meals we were able to deliver to the community. And you know, look at that, and some people, maybe they need a meal, and some people just need someone to be present with them. I was just talking to Trevor before church, and he said somebody who he brought a meal to said, can I just give you a hug? He's like, of course. And I just think that's like, we are literally embodying Christ for people. And we're being there with one another. We're being generous. And, you know, even through some of the more difficult times, I think like the Cody uh, and Kim Coleman family, man, just to walk out of services Thursday night, if you haven't heard this, and they, they said I could share this, to walk out and see their home on fire, this is just a horrible thing. But everybody, thank the Lord, is safe. But your generosity to the family, the community's generosity, you know, and, and generosity is not measured by do we meet the need. The generosity is how much more than the need do we give. And so, it's just really important for us to say we care about families and we care about you. And so you all and have just done an amazing job of that. And just in your prayer times, if you're a person who prays, let's just be praying for the people out in our community and our world who are so lonely right now, people who are in need and don't know where to turn and maybe they don't have a good church family like you to lean on and in these times. And just one more piece of really good news just to, to think about this Christmas. We had a Christmas baby in our church family yesterday. Josh and Kalinda Turpin had their little daughter. They said we could share this with you as well. So Elena, she was like, what, 15 weeks late? So yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a sign for what's to come with her. But uh, just so many goods. Like, it's bittersweet. Always every Christmas, isn't it? And uh, you just think about the things that are going on. I, I'm curious for you, what's your favorite part of Christmas? And you don't have to say it out loud because I'm just going to read a few things here. And if this is your best thing about Christmas when I say it, give me a, oh yeah, or just stick your hand in the air or just clap your hand or just a thumbs up, whatever. Uh, how many for you, your favorite thing about Christmas is Christmas music? How about Christmas food? Anybody eggnog? I can just stop right there. That's the best thing about Christmas, right? How about this one? Uh, Christmas cookies? Presents? Wrapping presents. You guys are sick. I don't know who you are that likes it. Can I give you my presents to wrap? How about this one? Christmas clothes. Matching PJs. <laughs> Christmas movies. Yeah, Christmas parties. Yeah, okay. Time with your family. Yeah, right. Now, I have another list I want to go through. And it's the same exact list. What's the worst part about Christmas for you? How many of you say eggnog is the worst part about time with my family? You don't have to. Please don't cheer for any of these. But... Uh, and that, that, that's the way it is. Christmas is up and Christmas is down. And it, it amplifies everything that you feel at times like this. If you're lonely, it amplifies that. If you're happy, it amplifies that. If you're, whatever you're experiencing, it just elevates it. And so it's just sometimes people go, I, I like Christmas, but man, I'm certainly gonna have a much more peaceful feeling when it's all over. I, I don't know if that's describing you. It's okay. You don't have to feel guilty if that's you. It's just we all sometimes go through very many things. And if you're somebody who right now, you'd say, I need a little peace in my world. I need a little peace in my mind. We've been looking at Isaiah and some ancient prophecies that help us. And I want to talk about that just a little bit this morning. Isaiah chapter nine, if you got a Bible and you can find it. And I'm gonna do a risky thing here. I'm gonna to try to find Isaiah in my Bible in front of you because I don't have it marked. Oh, look at that. I found it. 
If you beat me there, that's good. Uh, so we're gonna listen to this. Just listen to it with fresh ears and an open heart. Because I know this was 2,700 years ago, but he was seeing a real, true vision of the future from God that matters for us even now. Isaiah said, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and, and Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. How's this going to happen? The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. This is a powerful vision. You go back from where we are in 2022, 2021, we're not there yet. You go back to 2,000 years to Jesus, another 700 years before that, Isaiah saw something very true and real about the future. He saw the birth of Jesus, and when he saw it, one of the things he said is, he's gonna be called Prince of Peace because he's gonna usher in a whole new way of doing things in the world, and how's he gonna accomplish that? It's literally gonna be on his shoulders. The government will be on him, and it'll be such a good thing. And so one thing I wanna clear up here is when Isaiah said, we're gonna see this child, and he'll be a prince, I don't know what you think of. I'm pretty sure that I'm, what I'm thinking of is not the same thing as what Isaiah had in mind when he said prince. And actually, he was actually writing and speaking in Hebrew, but when he said the Tsar, I think that when, he, when we translate it into English as prince, we might be getting the wrong idea about what the prince of peace would be like. Do you not think of Disney princes when he says prince? Like prince, uh, was it Prince Eric? Prince? Can anybody say all the Disney princes? Okay, don't try. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't want to see a guy going, oh, I know all of those. And, and hopefully you're a dad of a daughter. But yeah, so if you're thinking like of Disney prints, you're not really thinking of what Isaiah had in mind. If you're thinking... Uh, like the artist formerly known as who plays really good guitar and used to you know, sing really well. That's not what he had in mind. If you're thinking like over in the United Kingdom, you're going, Prince is just second string king. Not quite good enough to be up there in the big chair, so you're a prince. Prince, in Isaiah's world, was actually an incredibly powerful person. It was a title of someone who could have been the ultimate ruler over an entire kingdom. It was someone who was in charge. And you think about if somebody's a prince and they have authority, they have the ability to make somebody's life really difficult or very good, depending on if they're a good leader or a bad leader. And then Isaiah says, and that's Jesus, the, the one I see in the future, he's gonna be this powerful leader. The government will be on his shoulders. Everyone will respond to him, but he's gonna be a good prince because he'll be the prince of peace. You've probably heard the word shalom. It's a Hebrew word. That's what Isaiah said. He will be the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And if you think of peace as, okay, so this is just all the wars will be over, that's great. You've been in houses and in, like you walk in the room and it's quiet, but you know you just stepped into something, right? And everything's still tense. Peace is more than just an absence of active fighting, though that's great. Shalom was this word that just said everything's where it's supposed to be. Your yard and your family and everyone's like just put together and everybody's getting along really well. We've just shared a meal and we're sharing memories and our neighbors are doing the same thing and our whole nation is okay. Shalom is just, it's more than just an absence of war. Everyone loves each other. Everyone gets along with each other. Everything and everyone is as it should be. And that's what Jesus brings. He's the ruler that brings this complete, total well-being. 
And I know that as I describe this to you, there's something in you that goes, man, that'd be awesome. I think I had that for like 30 seconds one day, you know. Why doesn't it happen more? Well, let's just ask the question, did what Isaiah saw, see, come to pass? Let's just go from his time 700 years forward and see where this started. He was looking at Jesus, and the Gospel of Luke tells us what that looked like when the Prince of Peace entered the world. So I'm actually going to go to Luke's Gospel, and you're welcome to go there as well. And uh, it says this, at, the, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire, and this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, remember hearing that in the prophecy of Isaiah? He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will be to great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that's happened the Lord told us about. And they went and they found just what the angels had described to them. They found the baby, they found Joseph and Mary. And then they went out and they told everyone and everybody was just amazed at what they said. This is an ancient prophecy in our little town coming true. So I have to ask, even in this story, where's the peace? I ask this because we've sanitized the Christmas story. In your mind, do you not think of a quaint little village with a tender barn scene and it's it's fresh hay and it smells good. There's a pottery barn candle burning. The animals are all quiet. Jesus is quiet. He's not crying at all. You know, the parents are just sitting there adoring their child. The shepherds are politely taking turns holding the baby. The wise men are outside waiting in line. The angels are above it all singing in a quiet voice, and there's a star shining light on it all, and it's just so peaceful. That's not at all what it was like. Just, just read the account as it actually is and take off all the things that we've added to it. It was a mess. First of all, they have to, you know, walk 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to quote-unquote be counted for the census, which is just another way of saying pay more taxes. And uh, did you catch that, that she was pregnant? Pregnant before they got married? Now, we know this is a virgin birth. It's a miraculous thing. It's God working in the world, but explain that to your in-laws. The whole town, no, they they knew what Joseph and Mary had been doing, or somebody. Oh, man, and then they get to the town. There's no room for them, so they... If you want to give birth to a baby, do you want to give birth to a baby where there's no one there to help you and no one to take care of you and you have to literally wrap your baby in cloth and put him in a feeding trough? It's it's not a peaceful story. It's very humble. And you look at that and you think, this is really what God intended to do when he said he's going to bring shalom to the world? 
And it, it got worse from there. You can go back to Matthew's gospel and you can read that King Herod, who was the ruler, the current authority in that area, tried to kill Jesus. And he said, you know what? I, don't wanna, make sh- I wanna make sure I get the right kid who's gonna grow up to be king to, re- to replace me. So let's just kill all the two-year-olds in that town. Everybody two years old under, just kill all the babies. Uh, Jesus barely made it out of town with his parents. Joseph in a dream was warned to get them out of town. They went to Egypt. It was just a rough, and then just go read the gospel sometime and just with this filter. How many times did someone try to kill Jesus? You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked how many times before they actually executed him, they tried to kill him. Where's the peace in all of that? And let's just go ahead and fast forward to 2021. How many different places in the world are people actively trying to kill each other right now? How many places are we on the verge of war again? Bring it down to a more local level. How are things at your family gatherings? I hope everything was okay, but did anybody lose it at any point? Did anybody have a meltdown? How about you? <laughs> I'm killing it today with the, the four-year-old and under crowds. But in your own mind, are you at peace? Is there something that keeps you awake at night? Is there some anxiety, some stress? Do you feel the slow burn? Where's the peace that he's supposed to have brought to the world? I think it's a fair question. And trust me when I say this, at Connection Christian Church, you can ask any question you have, even if you think, well, I probably shouldn't ask it, but if you're thinking it, you should ask it. You should pray about it, and you should talk to somebody. Doubts, concerns, questions, you don't get them answered if you don't bring them out, and and let's just ask the question. Where's the peace that he promised? Another way of saying it is, did Jesus fail? Nice try, but a lot of people have tried also to bring peace to the world, and it's just not happening. Is it not? Let me give you two reasons to think about, and I need to go quick because I do understand we do have a younger group here today, but uh, just two things that occur to me about why maybe the world isn't as peaceful yet as we would hope with the Prince of Peace being here. Number one, just keep this in mind. There was already a prince here in this world when Jesus arrived, and we need to keep that in mind. When Jesus began his ministry at 30, and this is how I want to explain it, he started going around preaching and teaching in all the villages and the towns, and people just loved hearing him teach so much so that people just started coming from everywhere, and soon thousands, and at some point, tens of thousands of people were pressing in wherever Jesus was at, and he was doing these powerful miracles to clearly show, I'm from God, I'm doing the work of God here, and so people who were sick, people who had demons, just everyone was seeking Jesus out, which made the current religious and political leaders very upset. Jesus was threatening the current regime, and they got jealous. So there's this incident, and in, uh, it's in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus had cast out some demons, and so, so the teachers of the religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, well, Jesus is clearly possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. It's where he gets his power to cast out demons. And just a little thing here, Jesus goes on to correct them and show them how dumb that was. Okay, let's just think this all the way through. So Jesus says, if I am casting out satanic demons by the power of Satan, Beelzebul, um, then isn't his kingdom divided? And a kingdom divided against itself will fall. Abraham Lincoln didn't first say that, Jesus did. And this is exactly why the Pharisees and the religious leaders were just not really thinking clearly. They were willing to attribute to Satan what was clearly the work of God because they were jealous. That's not the point I wanna make out of this though. They said by the prince of, of demons, the, of Satan, is, is how Jesus is casting out the demons. Jesus corrected them on by whose power he was working with, but he did not say, by the way, Satan is not the prince. He let that one stand. He, 
In fact, Jesus himself even said this. This is in John chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus said, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. I don't know if you've ever factored this in, but Satan was the current prince of this place, of this world. And we might be talking about more than just planet Earth here. And who was in charge? Satan was in charge. And, and then you think, well, what kind of a person, what kind of a being, what kind of an entity is Satan? Well, I know this because Jesus said he's a liar. So anything he tells you is not gonna be true. He's a murderer. And he's been that way from the beginning, Jesus said. He hates you. He wants to destroy your life. And Jesus says that we're, you know, on his target list. Why? Because Satan already rebelled against God and that didn't go so well. So now he does the next best thing. He'll go after those who are created in the image of God. And you got a target on your back and he wants to destroy the work of God. He wants to destroy you. That's what he does. That's what he uses his limited power and authority to do. You ever find yourself going somewhere like a restaurant or a store or something that's not really good and you go, man, I just really wish Chick-fil-A was in charge of this place. Yeah, this would be so much better. If you think the world's a hot mess, who's been in charge? Right? When our first parents, Adam and Eve, were given a perfect creation and they were given free will and you can run the place and do whatever you want, but I'm just, God says, I'll give you one thing I don't want you to do. When they disobeyed God, they opened the door to sin and death coming into the world and the management changed. And all of those who were gone for sin and death became under the, the authority of Satan. And Jesus is coming back to take the place back. And it's a gradual process, but it is working. And I want you to think about this. If, uh, if Jesus had to overcome the current prince of this dark world, there is peace now. It is actually possible to have peace in your heart, in your life, in your world, but there isn't any other peace apart from Jesus. You only will find peace when you put yourself under his authority. And this mess of our world and the mess of our lives is here because we don't always put ourselves under his authority. I really appreciate what C.S. Lewis, the author and writer, said in, in Mere Christianity. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. If you want peace, you need to go to the Prince of Peace and put yourself under his authority. Uh, but, we, but we try. We look for things, we, like, oh, I'll just be the boss of me. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Uh, I'm, I don't know if it's a little bit of pride. I don't know what it is, but we do that. I'll explain it this way. I remember when my oldest daughter was younger. I think she was in elementary school. One morning, she's going to take the bus to school. It was pouring down rain. Just one of those, it's just going to rain all morning. And uh, we're standing at the front door. I said, hey, kiddo, you probably ought to just wait here for the bus. And it stopped, like, right in front of our house anyway. But two things that I love about my oldest, she's a rules girl and she's punctual. And the rule was you had to be at the bus stop when the bus came, and you needed to be there on time. So, and two things that I probably, I'm not, but she's like, I have to be standing at the bus stop, and I need to be early. I'm like, the bus is going to be late today. It's okay to stay inside. No. Okay, so she's going to go outside. I grabbed the biggest umbrella we had in our house. It was enormous. And I went out there and I stood with her, you know, waiting for the bus, which was late, by the way. And so we're staying there. We're pretty dry. Our neighbor across the street comes out. He's a year older than Alyssa. And, you know, he, I said, hey, you want to stand under the umbrella? And he's like, no. Now, you might think, well, they're elementary school, middle school. It's girls. It's cooties. No, they're good friends. You know what this was? I don't need an umbrella because I'm a tough guy. 
I still remember what he looked like by the time the bus got there, what, 10, 15 minutes later. He's standing right outside the umbrella. Alyssa gets on the bus nice and dry, and Cameron gets on the bus, and he looks like he's been standing in the shower for 15 minutes, fully clothed. It's I wonder how many times we do that with our lives. And the protection of Jesus is being under his authority, being under his umbrella. But I say, no, thanks, I got this figured out. I'll just stand over here and do things my way. When you take yourself outside the authority of Jesus, when you say, look, I know what you say to do, but I think I've got this figured out. I got a way to do this that'll work for me. They're just natural consequences. It's not that God hates you. And I want to be clear on this. Not every bad thing that happens in your life is a result of you being outside the authority of God. Sometimes bad things just happen and they're going to come your way anyway. And God just says, I'll give you the grace to get through it and I'll go through it with you. Sometimes God uses those things to help you grow up and it doesn't have anything to do with you doing something wrong. But many times, do you know, like every time I stick my finger in the light socket, it's going to hurt, right? Every time I take myself outside the direction of Jesus when his will is good, pleasing, and perfect, I go, I think I can figure this out myself. This is what's going to happen. And so many things that happen in the world happen because we or someone around us has taken themselves outside the pathway of God. When the truth is, Jesus is the only source of peace that you'll ever find, and he's really the only source you'll ever need. He's the prince of shalom, and he wants to put your life back together in a way that you could never do that on your own. And I, I honestly, just from my perspective, because I've been following so long, there's things that I thought I knew better on, and I've come to realize, and now i just kind of gotten to the place where I just want for all the people that I care about to know the same thing, the joy of just being obedient to him and finding that when you follow his way, it may not make sense at first. It might not be intuitive. It might be scary even, but it's always going to work out for the best for you. And I, I just want everyone to come to know this, and I think you do too, that when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to peace. And here's what Jesus teaches us, and it's the same thing I found to be true in my life, and I think so many of you could say this. When I first come to Jesus, and I trust him enough to do what he says, then I find peace. In fact, when you trust Jesus enough just to give him authority over your whole life, that's when true peace begins, in here and out there. The Bible says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. You know, we fix this relationship with God, and then something glorious happens. This is um, out of uh, Colossians chapter 3. And let me find it. Here. There it is. Colossians three fifteen. It's like this just works out into our relationships. The peace of Christ comes from, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. This is the kind of thing that suddenly becomes possible when Jesus enters the equation and when he enters the room and when people start looking to him as the ultimate authority. And it's something beautiful to see even what he does within you Life's still hard, and uh, things are difficult. And sometimes there's things just even with our biology, and so avail yourself of every other thing that you need to. Counseling is awesome. Medical science has figured out so many things about brain chemistry. I'm not saying any, just saying let's start first with this. Let's go to Jesus, put ourselves under his authority, and maybe for the first time ever start seeing some peace in your life. 
And Jesus is such a patient, amazing teacher. He's got, he knows how long he has to work with you to help you grow up and mature and to embrace the peace that he offers. There's this wonderful invitation he gives in Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. Take my yoke upon me. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Hey, don't reverse the order. I know a lot of people want to do that and it's a little bit of a pride thing, honestly. I'll fix myself. I'll kind of get cleaned up and because I made this mess, I should clean it up and then maybe I'll start working my way towards going back to church, getting with God again. Just start with him. Let him enable you to become what you can never be on your own. Real peace is possible. I just don't know where else to tell you to get it other than Jesus. But thank the Lord, it's available. And uh, I'd like to help you find that. Let's pray right now together. And if there's something in your heart or in your life that's not at peace, will you even have your own conversation with God about him helping you get that right? Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the, the way that you looked at the mess of the world, the mess that honestly we're all responsible for. And you didn't turn your back on us and you certainly didn't destroy us. You, you sent your son Jesus to bring peace. And Jesus, I'm thankful that you through literally through your body and through your death have reconciled us back to God and you made it possible for us to be friends with one another. And all the things that we're dealing with and struggling with, will you just be the one who gives us the peace that you promised? The peace that goes beyond anything we could ever understand will you help us to with one another live in harmony and to love and to show grace and mercy just as you've shown it to us i pray all this in jesus name amen